Hi, everybody. Welcome to Shasad Podcast, conversations between scholars from around the world who study childhood, youth, and related institutions historically. As an official production of the Society for the History of Children and Youth, you can subscribe to these shows through iTunes or Google Play. Written and visual materials associated with each episode are available at our website, shcy.org. Enjoy. Hey, welcome, everybody. I guess we're calling this the um, uh, graduate student dilemmas during uh, COVID-19 feature. And I'm here with Nicola Robertson and uh, Edsel Gonzalez, who I just met uh, virtually through uh, our call for participants. And I think the place to, uh, to start is with uh, introductions. I'm, I'm Pat Ryan. I'm the uh, online editor for the Society for the History of Children and, and Youth. And uh, maybe we just start out by Nicola, if you could just tell the audience a little bit about uh, yourself. Sure, um, I'm Nicola Robertson and I'm a postgraduate student at the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow um, in the School of Education. And Edsel? Um, hello, I'm Edsel Javier Cintron Gonzalez. I'm a first year PhD student focusing on English studies. My main specialty is children's literature within Illinois State University. All right. Well, it's it's um, uh, it's sort of through the magic of uh, internet networks or social networks that we're able to come together. And I think that our fir the first question is just how are how are each of you uh, dealing with the sort of study uh, or work life uh, habits and balance issues under the uh, social isolation context. How is that working out for you, Nicola? Um, I find it sort of difficult because I have a little boy and he also has to be homeschooled at the minute. All the schools are also closed. So um, I have to juggle being a teacher, which I've never done before, and uh, being a researcher. And it's, it is difficult because he's not at all interested in doing any schoolwork. He only really wants to play video games or go outside, which we also can't do. Um, that is the biggest obstacle that I face at the minute, is trying to find a balance between those two main jobs. That, and one of them I didn't really ask for, to be honest. Uh, and I'm really missing his teacher, and I'm missing him going to school every day. And I think he does as well. We're all we're kind of cooped up here and getting a little bit of cabin fever. Um, yeah, I can certainly relate to to that part of it. My children are older, 15, 19, and 21, and in university and high school, and they uh, are back home. You know, but I, I certainly you you really recognize. Wow, I have no capacity to fill that role that I'll just use my youngest, my daughter's high school's teachers play. Uh, or, you know, she, she goes to French immersion and 70% of the instruction in French. And, you know, she's been doing this for years and years and her French is quite good, but we're an English household. 
So she doesn't get that. She's just missing that language you know, acquisition. Now, it's not the end of the world, but I am aware that that's gone from her daily life, in addition to all her friends and the content of the curriculum. So those are, those are not easy things. Etzel, what's, what's life like where you're at? And, and just tell everybody where you're at and what you're up to. All right, so um, I'm currently here at Normal, Illinois, where ISU is currently located. I didn't get an opportunity to fly back home to Puerto Rico. Um, since my parents are older, I decided it would be safer for them and for myself if I stay here. Um, I really don't want any chance to spread the virus like to any of my family members or just to avoid that. Um, basically, at least for me as a first year student, at first it was a little bit difficult because it was basically relearning how to encourage and motivate myself back to my coursework and also my teaching. Um, I'm currently teaching freshman students two sections of English 101. Yeah. And basically, it's not just me, but also it's like communicating back with my peers, colleagues, um, communicating back to students to see how they're doing as well. So it's really been like a sort of communication process where basically I want to make sure that how's everyone doing during these tough times of this global pandemic and also once that's done, like trying to keep track of my priorities, like what do I have to finish first on my coursework? Um, what resources do I have available in terms of completing my seminar papers? Um, it, and basically finding out what ISU has available for me to be able to continue and finish my semester. Yeah, I, I can really relate. You know, I spent a lot of time uh, in the last, I guess, well, a, a, number of years becoming competent in um, digital technology and and putting together you know multimedia features when I had to just sit down and do a lecture uh, record a lecture um, you know and technically I know how to do all the parts syncing the, the PowerPoint with the video splitting the screen uh, and I have it, I, my office completely set up for doing those recordings at, at school. I do not so much at home. And I just, it took so long. It was like, oh my God, I'm worn out. Uh, and, and, and the time just, it just devoured time trying to teach effectively in this situation. And uh, so I, I can really relate to that. What are the, I mean, that's all just sticking with that. What are some of the you know, is there, obviously the light at the end of the tunnel is the end of social isolation, but are there any strategies that you, that you would pass on to people about uh, being an instructor um, uh, in English 101, the, the course that you're handling, that things that you've learned through the process that you'll, if this continues to happen or happens again, you'll use to help you get through? Well, I will say that my first advice, um, especially me teaching this course throughout this whole year, is that don't be afraid to establish a community of support amongst your peers, amongst, it doesn't have to be your own cohort, but also your older uh, colleagues who's, who have a lot of experience teaching this course and others multiple times. Um, 
And I would say don't be afraid to ask for help because that has been one of the most helpful things that has helped me establish a more structured online course. Because teaching 101 online was a little bit difficult at first because this is a writing course using a cultural historical activity theory as the main, basically, um, tenant where we teach students to create multiple genres, how to produce, how to do genre research. So basically, one of the main resources I've been using, and I assume the English department graduate students have their own Facebook page where Basically, we just ask each other questions, advice, um, any sort of activities that we can use in terms of online teaching and what has worked for them. So really having that community that supports you throughout this time has really been helpful for me in terms of transitioning to online teaching. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, my, my feeling about it is I just can't wait for it to be over uh, in terms of having to do... <laughs> And I don't want to be back at this in the fall. Um, you know, I, I find it, but that's not defeatist. That sounds so terrible, but sort of like, I think those ideas are really good ideas, but I just can't help but think um, what a lesson this has been on how efficient face-to-face -face interaction is relative to trying to do things online. Nicola, right now you're not teaching, are you? Um, no, but I do a lot of work with disadvantaged students. Um, I do that alongside my PhD. Oh, tell us about um, that. So I support students with disabilities or learning difficulties, um, but not in the institution where I study. Um, so I try to keep in contact with them as much as I can. I have about 10 students that I support. But a lot of them don't have internet access or devices. Ah. So that then leaves them at a real disadvantage because they're not getting face-to-face -face teaching and they're not getting any input from anyone at all at the minute. So they're probably going to fail their course through no fault of their own. And it, it's kind of, it's really quite annoying because some of them are doing so well to think that they're going to have to come back and repeat the whole year. You know, you, you're bringing up a really important issue of both accessibility within the context of disability, but also within the context of class and technology and general support systems, right? Yeah. I mean, that's something that was also, I was doing things that I had not done as a professor before in terms of giving students my cell phone number, generally do not do that. But I felt like some of them, some students, I, I had about 80 students this term that I was helping finish in our school system, our school year just finished. So, um, but the thing was, is some of these kids who I know are maybe a little bit on the edge, put it that way, uh, they're just not going to, they're not going to finish. And uh, I had 78 out of 80 cross the finish line, get their work done, which was really ended up being my goal. Uh, and that, that's a really good figure for in, in past experience. So that was fortunate. But yeah. It, it could have been a lot worse than that. It, it, the, the, a, a much higher number easily could have just said, well, I feel out of touch with the professor, with the class. I've lost my whole context uh, for, for making academic progress and therefore, screw it. I'm not, I'm just not going to do it. And then it's hard to back that. I mean, we have some authority within systems to, ex, to extend 
But as teachers, it's pretty limited. We have to play within the rules. And then they're just dealing with bureaucracy. So one question I had for these students in this program, are there policies that have been set up to make an exception, which would, you know, accommodate them? Yeah, if they are continuing students, so they intend to go on to the next level, um, because it's not a university I work in, it's a, a college, so they can leave after every year and still leave with a, a qualification. If they choose to go on to the next level, then they're granted an automatic pass. But if they're doing a professional qualification, or if they intend to leave, then they must finish the coursework. All sort of national examinations and things like that have been cancelled anyway. Um, and then the lecturers would be the people to make the decision on whether they would have passed or not. So that's the sort of that's the sort of provisions that have been made. But the problem with the coursework thing is, is that it's all transmitted to them online. There's no alternative. They haven't been given paper copies. They can't go to college and pick up pieces of paper. So they're stuck if they don't have internet access, and a lot of them don't. Yeah, those are issues. Well, I, I want to move on to the questions of, uh, about our own uh, academic and scholarly progress uh, and just talk about that. And maybe, uh, Etzel, you could start off just in terms of, I know, well, tell people where you are in your coursework. I know you're a first-year PhD student and sort of how, you've how this disruption has changed or presented challenges, uh, how you've responded to this situation as a first-year PhD student in, in coursework? Well, I had to make like, a lot of changes to think about in terms of my coursework, um, especially thinking about um, how I'm going to teach um, a children's literature course next semester as an online forum. So I've been meeting a lot older students and faculty to discuss multiple options about how we're going to transition. So that's been very helpful receiving advice and just thinking in the back corner um, and thinking what I really have to do during summer in order for this to work. And then in terms of my coursework right now for this semester, um, I'm working with multiple seminar papers currently. And at least instead of like going to the library and search for specific books I need for scholarship, um, it's, I've invested a lot of my time during online research. So one of the things I really have to basically tell myself is to set a system where I divide my writing time, my research time separately. So I got the idea from this book I read called The Clockwork News. Basically, this book gives you strategies and advice in order to complete um, big projects such as thesis, dissertation, books, or anything you have planned. Um, what I found interesting about these strategies is that it recommends you dividing your time based on productivity and how much effort you're going to put in each time slot. So for example, the book together, the point is that in my cases, I separated each um, productivity time separately. It feels like I'm not procrastinating as much as I used to, or 
I don't feel guilty for not completing each task when I'm supposed to do. Um, and finally, in terms of seat time, that's when I really get to do other stuff related to my coursework, like listening with colleagues, sending emails, following up with other memos. So using this time has helped me set at least back on track on coursework. However, being isolated, I also have to resort to other strategies. Like for example, um, when COVID didn't happen, I used to like study either at the quiet force at the library, um, at local coffee shops to enjoy a coffee. I would invite colleagues to join me so we could hold accountable and basically encourage ourselves to keep working. So the way I've remediated this is by inviting colleagues um, either via Zoom or this application called House Party. And actually seeing another person's face and watching them work has motivated me to keep working as well. So in terms of uh, setting my Sorry. Um, so in terms of setting myself in work environment, um, that has helped me a lot, like mentally to keep working on my coursework. Yeah. yeah that's, that's that last, that last point about, uh, just, uh, having other people in the room to sort of, uh, even if you're not interacting with each other, um, there's a, it's an interesting sort of disciplinary mechanism, really. Um, you just going about your business, but you're, creating a, a work environment where others are present, even though you're, in a sense, you're isolated, you're by yourself, which is really terrible for people. I mean, one of the things that I, now, do you have, um, this is an odd question to ask someone, don't, don't know very well, but do you have roommates uh, that, uh, that you're with? No, I currently live by myself in a one-room one apartment, so I don't have any roommates currently. Well, that, Edsel, that must be, that must be really not easy. I mean, we have five in our family and maybe we get on each other's nerves more than we normally would because we can't, it's too much, too much time together. But to, to, to face that situation, you know, uh, it, alone is not easy, you know, um, and uh, so this, these strategies sound really good in terms of not, ha ha you know, not experiencing that. Um, Nicola, uh, can you say a little bit about your, your research and, and how you're trying to move forward with your dissertation um, in, in light of uh, the restrictions? Um, so part of my research is to look at images because I'm trying to discuss whether propaganda images are pedagogical um, in some ways. So my research is completely conceptual. So all the material I need are texts and images. And it's okay to look at text on screen, that's fine. But trying to look at an image on screen, which isn't supposed to be on screen, is really difficult. It totally changes interpretation and it totally messes up the data. Because if I'm trying to make an interpretation of something that has been reduced to be put on a screen, it's going to be different. Um, and I don't want to make these sorts of interpretations and then later go and see the original and then it messes up my entire thesis. Um, I think, I, even though I've got a lot of time at the minute, even though I'm teaching the my son, um, 
I find that I've got lots and lots of time to do my research. The only problem is I can't get the materials that I need and it's so frustrating. Um, so I just end up, what I end up doing is doing a lot of reading. Uh, and that's probably a good thing. But I would like to start looking at images because I'm actually writing the chapter on image at the moment. I really want to see some real paintings and some real sculptures and things like that that I just can't get yeah. at the minute. That, I mean, the idea that the media is the message, you know, and that you take, you change the media, the image, and you change the message, and that these things can't be separated, you know. Yeah. You think it, you know, particularly if you're thinking about it as a text, what does the text do? Well, what it's doing <laughs> on your yeah. screen is very different than the, the text in history. And you want to get as close, obviously, it's an imaginative act, you know. Uh, and yeah. no matter what, you're trying to you're trying to imagine what it, uh, how it would have been used or uh, how it would have acted. You can say that uh, among its uh, the community of readers or users, and the more that you translate that, just in terms of media, the harder it gets, right? Yeah. Um, I can. That makes, a, that makes a lot of sense to me. And, but the, the, the other side of that though, you're saying you're spending a lot of time reading. I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't know if you're experiencing it this way because it's easy for me to say, but one of the things that people often say about dissertation or thesis writing is that students are uh, schooled to really focus on the primary material, right? Yet, a lot of intellectual work has to happen in the historiography or in the literature for, you know, a lot, well, that, that takes time. Yeah, and because mine's is a conceptual uh, thesis, the reading is so, so important. I think the images are pro probably 60-40, so texts are probably more important than the actual image part. Yeah. And yeah, so having all this time to read is really a very good thing. So it's like a silver cloud. Yeah. It, but it, or silver uh, lining of a cloud even. <laughs> well, and, and, and this is, there's no, I don't know that there's a, uh, there's any sort of like 10 best practices to deal with this, but part, I don't know if you're like me, I think most people do experience it this way. I almost have to get my mind right to interact with certain kinds of academic work because it's there's an emotional side to it like working in the archives is one kind of work and you have to create that social experience to be on cue for that whereas secondary literature is different where writing is different you know we're putting together powerpoint presentations for students those are all different sort of intellectual spaces. So it, when you're trapped in your house, can you get yourself into that mode where you're really focusing on the secondary literature? That's a challenge. Yeah. Because you don't have choices and you gotta focus on that. But, but, but yeah, that's true. And also at home, there are a lot of distractions. Like, um, you know, that the TV is like two feet away from the computer. And your kettle is not that far away either, so you can just make a coffee, and all those sorts of things affect 
how well you can read and how well you can write, I think. Yeah. Well, um, I think uh, uh, these, um, I'm not sure we really have any solution, but at least today we've, uh, you know, shared some stories about, about where we're at. And, uh, and, you know, this is, this isn't from my point of view, this isn't gonna, you know, last forever. Um, you read things and you hear things from people saying, oh, this is the new normal. Well, I don't think this is the new normal, but we do have to get through it. Um, and so I really appreciate the two of you being willing to Zoom with me and talk about your experiences in Illinois and in Scotland. Um, and I've shared some of my here in Canada. So I really wish you well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Shusai Podcasts. You can find more materials and features from the Society for the History of Children and Youth online. shcy.org.